This is uh, episode 22 of uh, High Fantasy, Remember the Broken Dress Network. Sorry it's going to be out of order, but it's worth it, I'm sure, when you get Daniel Wilson podcast interview as number 21. On Tuesday. Yeah, on August 1st, when the book actually gets to come out, and yet uh, maybe don't read or listen to the podcast until you've read the book, because we yeah, spoiled there's definitely a lot. spoilers in there, but uh, yeah. We, we, we got an interview with uh, Daniel H. Wilson, New York Times bestseller. He wrote Robopocalypse and Robogenesis, and now he has a whole other new series called Clockwork Dynasty. We interviewed him about that uh, a couple weeks ago, but we had to wait because of the whole book thing and Comes out all that other August weird 1st. crap. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it'll be out on... So you get two episodes this week, so... Yeah, and you get all. 22 before 21, and just don't worry about it. Seriously. <laughs> But uh, it's a good book, and it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, and hopefully he'll be coming back eventually. Yes, hopefully he'll be coming back eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And today, uh, have we done any progress up till today since last time, whenever last time is? <laughs> uh, yes. Not a lot, but I have done progress. Um, I was at San Diego Comic-Con, so I... I learned a lot, talked to a lot of people, so that was cool. And I've written, I've started writing a new scene in my in Andromeda's Love that deals with space whales. <laughs> so that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I wrote like the first couple hundred words, and I sent it to Jeremy, and he's, I was like, dude, if this doesn't excite you, we're we're done. He's like, dude, this is so good. <laughs> but it basically, a space whale swallows a ship, and they have to go into the whale to get into the ship. Interesting. So, so it could be it could be a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. Right. Colin, have you made uh, any progress? So since I get bored at work, I f- feel like I finally like I already knew who the characters were in the story that I'm I was plotting and have written them out on that I'm starting over with. But now my main character is like this clear cut character with his own motivations, so I finally know who he is, so I started writing his introduction today so i got some about a thousand words done Ooh. nice it's well, nice i also started rewriting corlex again so <laughs> <laughs> this is rewrite number four uh i i did some work i think last week and it was more like the kind of b- building out the plot more so was I, I have the general outline but not any of the specific scenes. And then I got distracted by some books and I've been reading a lot this past week. <laughs> so not as much nice. work. Hey, that's so, reading is a part of the writer's workload. It is. <laughs> it is. So this, this is just, I don't remember their names, but I went to this panel on Sunday. It was talking about basically how do you take your idea from an idea to like movies and books and all this other stuff. And two of the speakers there is a set of twins who are now 22 who have had their own panel at Comic-Con for 10 years. And they're like, oh, yeah, you have to do this, this, this. I'm like, you tripped and fell on a book deal for fuck's sake. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't hurt that now you're 22 and hot. So, yeah, like they're they're like, yeah, we're getting really popular now. And I'm like, I wonder why. But... (laughs) But yeah, I was, like I have a hard time taking those people seriously. It's like they got their first book deal in fourth grade. Just like, oh god. Well, anyone who tells you how to do it is probably wrong. Right. Well, yeah, obviously. But you, I mean, We're there right, is. Though. 
if we tell you how to do it, we're right because we're the right ones. Our unsuccessful. <laughs> we have, we have suggestions that may or may well, not help I mean, you. The big when you listen to the interview with Daniel Wilson, he basically tripped and fell over a movie deal before his book was done. And then, and then he we had, had TJ from Jolly. Uh, right, and then TJ from Jollyfish is like, "Yeah, you can't do that ever." <laughs> so, it's like it just kind of you got to get so fucking lucky to get a book done, like from a big publisher. That's is, just what I've learned. This is why when I say like, I think Chelsea Clinton was uh, in a town nearby promoting her new children's book. Mm. And <laughs> oh my god, these <laughs> she's got like, the name, you know. I know it's just like the people who. The nobody's I mean, those gonna be to some woke as fuck seven year old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when someone with the name with Clinton in it has a I'm, book deal, I was like, oh my god, they had such a yeah, big advance. I'm it's so irrationally successful. Irrationally angry when famous people put out children's books. Mm. Well, right. if it wasn't a political children's book, I might be able to get behind it. Like if it was a true, uh, like sort of like fantasy, like no, hey, this is how to treat your friends book. kind of book. It was, it was, be okay it was called that, She Persisted. Oh, oh fuck Jesus God Christ. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that noise. No wonder that oh. was everywhere on the internet. I had no idea why that started, but okay. Well, <laughs> the topic for today is we're going to talk about some soft and hard things, but get your mind out of the gutter because it's about <laughs> science fiction. When I was riding the trello card, I was like, wow, this just sounds super fucking dirty. <laughs> it does. So... Hard science fiction versus soft science fiction um, is generally is whether... Is hard sex versus soft sex, too, in books? We could talk Kinda, about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, soft and hardcore porn, it's sort of the same idea. Yeah. Romance versus erotica, right? Sanderson versus Martin. <laughs> uh, Sanderson versus anyone, I guess. Fair enough. Mm. Oh, he does not like any form of suggestible anything but his books do super well so i mean yeah you know it's sort of that do you ever want to go blue because then you're then you're segmenting yourself away from a certain audience yeah and and i get that more people are willing to read books that don't have sex in it than people who are willing to read books that will have sex in it but at some points he just gets silly well, but even I'm just talking like language or other things like yeah. I like to put it as movies like, you know, is it a PG-13 or is it an R? Because you're the, the audience for a PG-13 is much bigger than an R. But the big difference could just be whether they had one fucks or two. Right, right. I mean, yeah, there's the technical reasons of movies. But in general, there is PG-13 and there is R and there's a big yeah. gap in between, especially yeah. now. But that's kind of thinking of the audience is a good way to think of the science fiction thing is because in my point of view, like there's there's hard science of like whether they're going to describe every little detail and it's really technical of how and why a fiction thing works versus the soft science where they really can hand wave it away. It's like it's just it's future. It's space. It's aliens. Just have the fun. It's Star Trek. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the biggest, probably the best example of true like soft sci-fi is, or soft science is Star Trek: The Next Generation. There's so much. I mean, there's so much in there that is just oh, it just works. Like the anti gravity machines or the gravity generators or whatever. You know, it just they don't explain. They just say it's there. 
right? Yeah. And that's that's a really good example of soft science. And where the the audience for both of these is going to be a lot smaller for hard science fiction because you have to actually be technical or willing to think about the technical details to get it versus the soft science fiction it's much more um easy to pick up so that's going to be the things that are in large part much more popular because more right, of the population right. can mm-hmm. get it right and you know it hard sci-fi can be very dry uh if you read like uh contact uh, I'm trying to think of other like hard sci-fi I've read. I mean, it can be kind of like getting through a textbook or even, you know, we were talking about Daniel, Daniel Wilson, you know, um, all of his books are hard sci-fi. Like his science fiction is very rooted in his knowledge of robotics. Well, I'll actually dispute that with you because his books are easy to read. He doesn't actually go into the technical details of like right. how the AI works. Okay. Okay. Well, that could be a, uh, a um a quabbling point about what constitutes hard versus hard versus soft because he doesn't hand wave anything either kind mm-hmm. of at least well, well i'm not talking about clockwork dynasty because okay. there's definitely some that's soft just... there, that's a soft sci-fi no but I'm talking like, about robopocalypse okay, I which i, I in, have them now but haven't read them yet in robopocalypse the ai that starts to take over everything they, he never explains how it came to be. That's he true, just like that's true. it's just like no, this is there, and once it's there, this is what's going to happen afterwards. And he does explain true. some things of how it would have to work mechanically with how the <clears throat> robots can function, but he never describes the technical details of like how that one girl and her eyes work. I'm not going to try to spoil it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I agree with that. So it's it's more of a medium science. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which, which is where I like to be as a writer. I like to be a medium science writer. What's the difference between hard and soft? Like, what's the medium is not really the middle ground. Me, well, it's yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and director Alex is like, <laughs> there's so many dirty jokes right here. I just I'm trying to behave. <laughs> hey, that's what this podcast is for. If you want to, if you want to go there, go there. Half we won't mast. stop you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Not the word perfect. I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just reading about Napoleonic Wars, so it's like so this naval terminology. Be... Mm. So, Jacob, you like being half mast in your science fiction? <laughs> yes, I like to put. Real science into unreal technologies, or yeah. some of it will some will be hard, some will be soft. <laughs> now you're just trying. You have to watch the YouTube on this one, guys. You have to. You absolutely have to. But yeah, so like in Corlex, you know, I put in some real world, real science into like dealing with light on um, another planet or another moon, like Saturn's moon of Titan or whatever, where in Star Trek, you know, there isn't any of that discussed. You know, it's just every planet has a roughly 24-hour cycle and all this other stuff. It's just something they never get into. Uh, so I like I like doing it to add the flavor to it because it doesn't really change the story too much, at least for me the way I like to write it, but 
Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, nothing I think annoys that's me. A... I was going to say, nothing annoys me more than every science fiction thing's obsession with single biome planets. Ugh, God damn. Right, right, yeah. And I, I was actually reading somewhere that the only single biome, at least right now, that science can could theoretically conceive of is an ice planet. But even then, there's going to be differences in the ices. <laughs> um, and if it, if it just everything is like a dry planet, like say Mars, there's still like there's the Mons Olympus, and then there's like caverns and everything. Nothing is going to be just one entire swamp, like you can find in Star Wars. Right, right. Star Wars is uh, also very soft science. Like, how the fuck does a lightsaber work? Like, they don't even try to explain. They're sure, just, like, they do. It's the kyber, kyber crystals. crystals. <laughs> Whatever the fuck those are, and why they work, and, and Star Killer base. Dear God. Ugh. What about the Sun Killer? No, it's gonna make a sun go supernova. It, somehow that actually you're makes sucking the energy sense. out of a sun. More, yeah. more oh, than God. the Star Killer. So, like this gigantic planet-sized base is just gonna like teleport around and s- consume suns. Apparently, that seems like a really, really problematic thing to be able to do. Uh, well, yeah. Here's my my thought when I when I was watching Force Awakens, I was like, why do they need the laser? Just threaten to consume their sun, <laughs> and you're doing the same fucking thing. Like, yeah, it, like the two. S- systems you just ruined by eating their sons you didn't even have to do anything to right exactly so i was like why even do this just like show up and just nuke their son and go home presuming they did it to systems that did have planets in it are those planets just gonna like go spiraling off into space now and die uh i mean no they shouldn't because gravity is a is a component of mass and it's not well, assuming it's not destroying their mass, just taking the energy, uh, they won't fly away, but they will freeze within the next but so much time. But is there still a sun there? No, it's gone. So At least that's what I understood. No mass like, would be gone. So there's no more orbit. To, there's nothing to go around anymore. Well, no, no. The, what I, well, at least what I took from it was they were sucking basically the fusion from the sun. Which you know, would basically, also, I imagine, be taking the plasma that makes up the sun and all of the energy stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, if you think too hard, <laughs> you turn into hard science fiction fans. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> Don't think too hard. A lot of what I feel like the, the um, spectrum of hard versus science fiction is how internally consistent things have to be because people like, wait... Why didn't they just take the sun instead of destroy it with a laser? Because when they start thinking critically about some stuff, instead of just accepting the hand waving, they start wanting to build more critical things, even if they don't understand what a neutrino is or how to work with it in a science fiction setting. Like, don't do what that 2012 movie did, because that's impossible. It was still a fun movie. I mean, yeah, that's pure soft science. We're just like, bad things are going to happen, all the hand waving. Yeah. But I mean, they're like the prime example of hard science fiction is The Martian, and they did a very good job with it. But another time, I think that was kind of somewhere in the middle, but closer to the hard fiction science fiction was the uh, Interstellar because of the way that they dealt with gravity and time dilation. Right. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, well, maybe the water planet could never actually work. I don't really know, but the time dilation part of it they nailed. 
Right, right. That's something we're running into. And I leave this up to Jeremy because he's way more into this than me. But like time dilation. So we have these ships that have been, you know, flying for a thousand years or two thousand years. Actually, I think in this story, like fifteen thousand years near near light. So time for them has passed way different than the time for the normal people. And so we have this entire sub thing of people whose job it is to pull these giant colony ships out of orbit or out, not out of orbit, out of, you know, near light speed down to basically zero. So we've been trying to figure out how to do that. Like they're like, if you hand waving is just so much easier. <laughs> yeah. But I feel, I feel as though audiences want they want the explanation. I mean, I do. I don't like it when something like has vampires in it and like they're they can't have garlic, but why? What is it about garlic that's terrible? Right. What, and I, it, I, I blame fucking I blame sunlight? Butcher for the <laughs> most part. You blame Butcher for your incessant on needing explanations or on everyone? Uh well no, for me. Well <laughs> okay. I mean I always I always liked it, but I didn't need it until I read Dresden. Because he does, I mean, even though, yeah, it's magic and all that other stuff, um, there's a lot of hard science in this fantasy world. You know, Dresden always talks about how he's got to move all this mass or there's that scene where they're playing D&D and he gets pissy with him because Mm -hmm. a fireball couldn't do that. You know, and so those kind of touches are nice because he's like, no, this can't happen because of X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh, well, that explains a lot. Yeah, and it it can get really weird if you're trying to hand wave things to the point of that you're defying physics in some way. Like, uh, to stick with a fire example, if you have fire in a a closed enclosure, it's not getting enough oxygen to burn. It's going to go out. But... You know, if right, they want right. it to keep going, you have to explain how. And if you're ex- going to... It's it's magic. Okay, fine. As long as you then try to explain how the magic can work when it's got a system. Yeah. Uh, another good example I saw or ran across, uh, especially while researching Corlex, was the fact that there's so much science about so many things. All right, so what the what I did go with was uh, microsuns. There is scientific explanations and theories that we can develop microsuns for like Mars to give it its own little light source that rotates whole bit. There's also this other theory about wormhole light, where you basically open a wormhole between like the sun and Saturn, and that's how it works. <laughs> So I thought about that one. I did think about that one, but I was like, that's a little too far fetched. (laughs) But there is scientific underpinning for it. Like the theory is there for it. So I'm just like, like you might have this idea and like, I want to make this kind of a hard science story. You go and look and there's 15 different theories about how this one thing might happen. So you have all sorts of crap to work with. But I would say that Corlex is more of the soft science fiction because as you said earlier, the various sciences doesn't actually affect your story your story is independent of that your story could be in the wild west right exactly so i i use some 
it's a, it's a, it's soft science. It is soft science, but I do I do use some hard science elements to give some flavor to the story. Mm-hmm. So does hard science have to be about the science? I don't think so, extent? but I I think that the hard science needs to be affecting the story. Like you can't have a, a soft science story in a hard science setting with the hard science not ever like interacting with it. It has to be part of the world building that is affecting the plot versus well, in it's just general, flavor of the uh, location, like the way Star Trek would do it. Well, I mean, it could just, it, I mean, I mean, full hard science is everything has some scientific underpinning in the world today. And you know what? We have some great futurists, so there's all sorts of theories out there that are fantastic. But I would say that a lot of hard science is using, is forcing some very specific rules that are based in today's understanding of the universe. I mean, I still think Martian is a great example with the fact that like, so he's trapped on Mars and he needs to get water. How does he get water? Well, he does this scientific thing to do it. And he needs to increase the time that he can stay in the little go-kart thing that he has. But he's going to run out of energy in terms of heat. So he'll like be dying by thermodynamics. How does he fix that? He uses science to fix it. And that's right. how the hard science is affecting the story. And it's a good way of doing it instead of just location flavor. Right, right. That, These I mean, people yeah, are that's blue. For sure. that, I mean, Martian is full-on hard science where they're like, basically every interaction has some factual or at least current current theoretical underpinning mm-hmm. it's hard to say factual when we're talking about scientific theory but at least someone has thought about it and has proved it out enough to say okay this looks like it might work yeah and i don't know still it's the, the difference of um how hard it is to read i think that is like in terms of the audiences, like everyone's going to dumb it down a little bit because not everyone's going to want to read a technical book. So everything is more or less like soft to medium science fiction. I think (laughs) like even something that's like Jurassic park and Michael Crichton, he's held up as being hard science, but he hand waves a lot. Oh yeah. Big time. Most people (laughs) that I know don't even consider Jurassic park, um, hard science anymore it was back in the day but now but also cloning technology has progressed further and further so we have a better understanding yeah it's kind of like you watch the old movies from the 30s about going to the moon they had no idea they just looked at a telescope and went hey this might work i don't know if it could be a thing retroactively change the genre of things though oh yeah I mean, be, the point well, is that some, it was at its time it was written in a hard science flavor. Right, but you see you see it a lot in especially TV how some TV <laughs> went from serious at the time to campy. Mm. Or how shows went from really campy to really respected. You know, I mean you see it a lot in television where things were written for a certain thing, but they they change over time. During their life or afterwards. After afterwards, afterwards, they become seen in a different light. Is basically what I'm trying to say. I feel hard science fiction is an awkward one to take because it is inherently conjecture. Yeah, at some point you have to explain how the space travel is working. How you've got guns that shoot lasers, like 
if you're trying to be hard science fiction, it doesn't change if the future proves you wrong. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, now for our lifetime, you write a book and it's going to be that way for the most part, unless something amazing happens. <laughs> you know, they, they, they could. I'm still holding out hope. Well, I am too. I mean, they. I'm in line for the singularity. Fingers crossed. And they keep moving up that singularity date too. Like it used to be like set 2079, and now it's like 2045 or something. I'll be alive like. for that. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's so many. I, I would say that the you have to write what you want to write in this case. And so what I like, like I was saying, what I like to do is I like to take an idea that isn't maybe completely proven out and throw things around it, like nanobots. Like, there's a lot of theory and we're getting closer and closer to nanites, but we're not there yet. So it's not science fact yet. It's still science fiction. And roll those into my story in an extreme way of going, huh, say we have this technology by this point. Where can we expect it to be by this point? And play with that. Yeah, and that is, it's a hard thing to do. Like, 20 years ago, no one would have ever had the thought of an iPhone and all the things it can do. But it has affected so much of every day-to-day life. And that's another, um, so this is a a question that I like to ask myself, and y'all should ask yourselves as well, is, do you expect technology to progress at the same speed throughout? Because one one of the big things about especially Star Trek is that all technology kind of kept pace with each other. But if you look at human history, certain things progress really fast while others are slowly progressing. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've I haven't really done a story with it. I've done some short stories kind of stuff with is the idea that one thing progressed incredibly fast well while nothing else did like so take the idea that we can go into space and just say okay in 20 years we can now travel at the speed of light but we still have the technology we essentially have today makes for a very interesting story i mean our communication system is rapidly outpacing a lot of things right now exactly yeah i mean the best place to look is the iphone because or the iphone smartphones is because so many people have them <laughs> it's an arms race to be the best so that those technology pro- are progressing where i mean for fuck's sake there's still some industrial drills that are using fortran like i kid you not when i was working at a, uh, a steel manufacturer in oklahoma all of our lays Lays still use Fortran, like a program, you know, programming language designed in the 50s. And you look at a lot of um, science fiction written 20, 30 years ago, and their idea of these super high tech gadgets were like these simple voice communication devices that did nothing else. Yeah, I like watching the original Alien and seeing the really big clunky computers that they had that they were like, this is futuristic, but this is a giant computer that has really simplistic communications. Tablets are really incredible things, aren't they? Was anything uh, sufficiently advanced is... How does the saying go? Anything sufficiently advanced 
uh, is, uh, is perceived any technology as that is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic, I think. Which is, right. is it Clark's third yeah. law, I think. But in, in Alien, you have like the giant clunky uh, computers in a spaceship that's like out in who knows where space and Bishop the android. It's an interesting amount of uh, contrast there. Right, right. And so, yeah, I think what I like to do the most is the the paradigm of one thing progressing faster than the other or bringing in something super old into a very futuristic world and seeing what happens. I mean, doesn't that pretty much kickstart a lot of your, not you, but just plot ideas in the first place is what would happen if we suddenly discovered such and such? Right, but most people at least in the readings and TV and movies I've seen is most people <laughs> sort of expect everything to progress at the same speed. Which is weird considering how fast computers have progressed while medicine while progressing faster than before is still slowing down compared right. to computers. It, One mm. of the things I like with um, the fallout series of games is the general concept in that, in that humanity never discovered the microprocessor. So they've got 50 years of technology built on the technology we had in the 50s that never really met that breakthrough. Hmm. So everything is really big and really clunky. Interesting. Makes for a fun setting. Yeah. I mean, and so it's just, and that's where especially hard science comes in, where you can say, okay, this entire setting is true. Except for this one little detail that we're going to flip. Yeah. And then they throw in robots and laser guns and whatnot, just for good soft measure. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Or, but, you know, it, it's a very um, Philip K. Dick uh, aesthetic where he says, okay, we're going to take the world as we know it and flip one thing and see what happens. I mean, that's kind of how, like, Man the High Castle happened. Uh, lots of other books like that, you know, where he's just like, okay, let's just look at the world and say, what if the U.S. lost the Second World War? <laughs> you know, and that's what where... if questions are really fun. <laughs> yeah, and they are, and they make for great, great stories. I mean, another side of like you can get hard science fiction. I think if you change, okay, there's one scientific fact that I need to be different in order to justify everything <coughs> else. So, like, if you just accept that this particle is acting differently than it usually does. Uh, and it would like break the laws of physics. If you just accept that little bit, then I can explain why lasers and time travel and everything else. Well, I mean, well, exactly. <laughs> but you also run into the um, Euclidean versus non-Euclidean geometry. For hundred years, we accepted that parallel lines, parallel lines never meet ever. Mm-hmm. But when space travel gets moved in and building stuff in space, you have to assume that parallel lines do in fact meet. Because space and time are the same thing after a certain point, and gravity fucks up with everything. Exactly. Oh, so, Lovecraft. <laughs> His obsession with non-Euclidean ge- geometry as this mind-alteringly fucking break everything in existence. Well, think about when he lived. You lived in, what, like, 1920s? Yeah. And, ge- like, yeah. Luke, well, yeah. Euclidean geometry was, what, like, 1600s? Uh, like... Well, Euclid was along before that time. Yeah. <laughs> Euclid was a Greek. 
Yeah, so, I mean, it was some... Let's see. Ah, uh... Uh, the sound of Googling. <laughs> <laughs> I did look up my vampires fear garlic. Something to do with Bram Stoker and old myths. Well, just in the, in general, humanity has long viewed garlic as a natural cure-all, as well as a uh, ward against evil spirits. I mean, it's so like the it best just spice makes ever. Sense. But put All garlic right, so in anything, it's better. Put too much garlic or burn it in anything, and it's ruined. A little bit so, of burnt garlic can be okay. Uh, Euclid was third century BCE. Mm-hmm. So think about that. Someone comes along. There's this thing has been true for a thousand, two thousand years in this world. Yeah, ain't nobody telling it, me it's not true. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's non-Euclidean geometry, and you know, yeah, I can see is, why it'd be. It is a funny that he latched onto that as one of his like big mind-altering things. I mean, it well, kind of it, is. If you just think about like uh, time dilation enough, and then you have to also accept the fact that space changes based on how fast <laughs> you're going. It's really crazy. Yeah, I know. It's it's a big deal because Of course yeah, the guy's looking in the back from the back of an airplane at something in Antarctica that's non Euclidean and it's crushing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't quite know what that means, but Lovecraft is a crazy fucker. I love Lovecraft, but he was a crazy fucker. I'll I'll have to give you a YouTube to watch after we're done. Alright. But yeah, so it's just one of those things where, especially in science and everything else, you've got to, you can take everything from this world and all of our knowledge set right now, flip one thing and it becomes completely different. And that's a, that if you explain it and you talk about it, I would assume that would make it a hard science novel. So, murky line. So part of it is explaining it. Part of it is how likely is it to possibly happen. So I don't really know. Right. Well, and then you have the whole idea of string theory, right? Where, you know, there's particle physics string theory. There's loop, you know, looping stream uh, string theory. So it could be you choose one over the other and see what happens. You look very amused, Colin. I'm not a fan of string theory. <laughs> I have a very, uh, I have an idea about string theory that I think will be proved true at some point. I believe that the universe is always trying to balance itself and that the, uh, that string theory will eventually be an equation that's about 10 to 15 characters long. <laughs> but that, 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 that's how I view the universe myself. I don't know why this made me think of it. Um, and it's only somewhat tangentially related. But um, it was, I think, some NASA AMA or something on Reddit. And it was something to do with um, the length of pi used in equations. And I think NASA uses 15 digits as their length, and they don't go beyond that. And it's the variability you get once you go beyond that digit 
is you're talking in the feet 200 billion miles down the line. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. It's how, how precise do you want to be is really. And it's like, where, sometimes you don't actually need to be more precise. You, that's very true. Sometimes you just don't need to be that way. I don't know. That wasn't really related, but in science, it was a fun fact. Or another idea you can think of is that if you want to have a um, a very soft science thing, do what Ready Player One did and put it inside a virtual world where physics don't matter, or some something like that, or like you know the new Elysium movie thing where there's like a thousand plants inside of one or whatever. Um, you know, break the rules that way, and then you can break all the rules. Yeah, it seems like they took the the one thing. Like, okay, suppose this one bit is true, and then I can explain everything else that is harder to get around. I'm so severely I'm, lacking in these. I haven't seen any of these movies well, or read any of these books. So, hard science fiction is a, a page on Wikipedia, and they have some things that are listed, but they have Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, yeah. And, uh, well, The Martian makes sense, but Jurassic Park kind of doesn't, so I'm not sure what they're de- de- at the deciding time, is hard science fiction. Like we were saying, at the time, it kind of was. Oh, Primer, if you've heard of that, that was... Oh, dude, that movie's so good. You can't follow it, so I guess it's hard science fiction, because it's so crazy. I feel like any mo- any work of fiction that spends its time trying to explain its methods is hard science fiction. Have you seen Primer, Colin? <laughs> no, I have not. Oh, oh, you're getting a Blu-ray. Well, <laughs> uh, I've seen it to you. You ha- it's one of those things that you have to pay attention to, and even at the end, you're not going to understand it because there's way too many loops of loops of loops of time. Well, that's what the Wikipedia note says. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and that's uh, so I bought it way back in the day on DVD. Uh, and, you know, I, like I was, I was living with a friend of mine, and he was like, hey, Primer, is that movie like three hours long? I look at the back, I was like, 72 minutes. He's like, holy shit. <laughs> But it feels oh, like a three-hour movie it because it's so mind-fucking. <laughs> it's so good. It's an all-time favorite of mine. Top nice. ten easy. I've seen things of trying to explain it. Of uh, Like, it's this huge flowchart, essentially, of all the things that happened. And it's still, it's crazy. Like, you have to be, like, studying this for a long time before you can actually understand anything. Yeah, but they were saying it's the most scientifically accurate um, time travel movie yet. So, and, and, and it, it's been out for 13 years. I don't think anyone... Um, and even then, they just said, like, hey, this crazy thing happened. They didn't explain how that works. They just, it happened, okay? Yeah, they don't exactly explain how the uh, how the time machine works. But it is a fantastic film. I highly recommend it. Um, it's interesting to see Black Mirror is considered hard science fiction. And I guess I won't dispute that. But <laughs> there's some things on it that like they just like, okay, it's a little crazy, but it is terrifying at the same time. 
Oh, that's a, that's a Netflix series, right? It was BBC. I think it went to Netflix. I think was it BBC. Yeah. I don't know. It went to Netflix in its yeah, third season. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could see. I mean, that's sort of a hard stretch because they don't really talk about the science of it all, but it's. Um, they do talk about the effects of it, like especially the right. effects of I, communication. Yeah, and that's 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 the big part of it is like they get really get into the whole. Okay, what happens if this goes bad? Yeah. Is this essentially what happens? I, don't, I, I like things that are dark like that, so it's great. Uh, Anyone you, get stabbed in yeah. it? <laughs> uh, I can't remember any specific stabbings. Oh, this list of uh, hard science fiction is just a list of things I haven't read. Well, I, a lot of like the films of hard science fiction is... Even the films I haven't seen. I think they're just popular science fiction movies, though. Like, I don't know how uh, accurate Gravity was, because I I didn't see it, but I don't think it was very accurate. They're movies that take an effort to explain themselves more than be realistic. So, are you saying that explaining it to the viewer is a line of hard science fiction instead of realism? Yes. Realism doesn't matter? Not that realism doesn't matter, but it's more of a sense of awareness than anything. Can you explain that more? I mean, there's a line when even if you explain it, it stops working. But I feel like hard science fiction, to an extent, more focuses on having explanations that are explainable and functional than simply... Just going with it. But realism, it, it, if it's realistic, then it should have explanations, right? Well, yes. Realism, so, by definition, would fit in that. Okay, but even so, science fiction that takes some unexplainable methods but creates a justification for it. Okay. Okay, I think I get it now. Because I'm not sure how, how you could separate realism from hard science fiction but that your way of putting it i think does make sense and i feel like even if you take the entirety of some things like star wars and star trek expanded universes if you give enough time to fiction writers they will eventually justify everything in universe even more hand waving yes. everything else, like Kuiper crystals and however they work. Well, yes, lightsabers. How the fuck does that work? Well, and let then, me explain it. Kuiper crystals. But, and then they'll just like, get a, okay. a deal with Disney and throw out everything else. Don't you take my childhood away from me? <laughs> but I don't right, feel like so, realism is the hard line for hard science fiction. Okay, uh, so what do you think about the like pros and cons of either you sprinkling in science fiction, like hard sci-fi, or actually just writing the full sci-fi? Because one one pro for writing the full sci-fi is it helps fill out that uh, word count. <laughs> and if you're if you struggle at word count like I struggle, it's really nice. <laughs> really, it goes on what you're trying to write for. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I try to keep things accurate with my 
a sci-fi military thing, but a lot of my way of doing that is by not explaining some parts because I'm expecting the reader to already understand it. That makes sense. Okay. Which, I mean, that's just kind of like the audience I'm going for is uh, more of the technical so how, mind. How do you explain the hover ships? Or you just like, hover ship? I'm working on that. <laughs> I don't know if I have hover ships yet or if I just have like really, really fast ones. I don't, I don't know. I'm do you working on like, Do you have aerial lift supersonic planes? Because that'd be the easiest way to do it. I mean, we have F-35s and they can hover, right? I could just do the same shit if I wanted to. Uh, right, but they can't go supersonic, right? No, but we do have other ships that we can. And if it's like 50 years in the future, maybe they collided and to made a nice, happy love child. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I was asking. Like, are you going to make like. Uh... I'm not sure yet. I wanted it to be something that was like a new form of energy, but I don't know how the hell I can explain that. So at the moment. Just call it unobtainium. <laughs> just the standard industry. Like, it's, it's magical. Just shut up and enjoy it. For hard fiction. and But with like the military thing, I'm not explaining anything about that because I'm expecting people to know it. Right. Yeah. But like you're talking about, like I watched Avatar for the first time Still over last never Christmas. Seen it. I was like, how did this movie make so much fucking money? It's goddamn terrible. I mean, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> because the unobtainium actually it? isn't the point of anything. That's just like, Why it's, it's reason. call it that. Because look, I don't even industry. care about that. Uh, you know, I know that it's it's look it's dances with Smurfs. <laughs> South Park did it better. It was not a good movie. That's the hard part about it. It just wasn't a good movie. It wasn't entertaining. The only thing I had going for it was super fucking pretty. It was very but, pretty. You know, it's not like at least Titanic was entertaining. Yeah, but there's going to be like five more of them. You know that, right? I know. I don't know how. Titanic was but... a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. We actually just watched that recently. I was watching parts of it. I think it was on TV. One of those movies that I really don't have the time commitment for, but I enjoy every part of it I watch. Yeah, we, we were like sitting like, what do we want to watch? It was like super cheap on voodoo. And like, I was just like, I've never seen all that movie. Oh, I was like, well, now you are. <laughs> I think that was the only movie I've ever owned on VHS that was two tapes. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Braveheart was two tapes. Thank you for jogging really? that memory. Braveheart was? I love Braveheart. Brave, yeah, Braveheart was I love was all of Mel Gibson's movies, really. No, I've and never seen Braveheart. I've not seen a lot of them. <laughs> I was just watching The Patriot the other day. That's a movie that takes a lot of uh, historical oh, yeah. uh, leeway. It just kicks <laughs> shit in the, right in the balls. <laughs> Uh, supposedly, Braveheart is See, also one of the most terrible things of historical accuracy in any fashion, but it's hey, still a fun movie. Do you now know slightly more about Scottish history than you did before? And I'm pretty sure I just did history. <laughs> <laughs> but now you know William Wallace did exist. He existed. The princess yeah, but existed, but she was hey, like nine when he died. That's a lot better than uh, you could say before in that movie. All right, guys. I think we're about running out of steam here, so let's plug our shit. Uh, you can find me at Ad Jacob Ingles on Twitter. We can find us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Broken Jars. Uh, yeah, Broken Jars.xyz. 
Is there anything else I really need to plug? I'm trying uh, to All the other podcasts that we do. <laughs> oh, yes. We have uh, uh, Gray Scott, which, you know, involves me. Uh, we're talking about The Office. What season we are you have on? The Dresden Files, which involves director Alex, who uh, talked about the Dresden Files, obviously. We have The Long Haul. If you want to talk about uh, parenting and gaming, both board game and video game, that kind of stuff. Uh, We have Dangerous to Go Alone, which is our nerd culture podcast. And I don't think I'm missing any of them. I don't think so. I think you've gotten all the good parts. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, check us out. Uh, check out our friends. Check out our sponsor, Zencaster. It's one reason we sound this good. Um, they're great. To... Put in uh, Broken Jars, all caps, to get 20% off your first order at Zencaster. So, yeah. Also, we uh, have a Patreon, and we'll give you stuff if you give us money. I've already plugged the Patreon. Oh, okay. And don't forget but to yeah, check us out on Tuesday for a second episode this week right um yes please check us out daniel h wilson not too often you get a very extremely candid interview with a new york times best-selling author like he wasn't holding back at all that episode he was like yeah fuck that shit and fuck that shit so like he he wasn't trying to like be political or whatever so (laughs) yeah (laughs) there were some funny moments in that and uh, some sound bites that were really nice one of which I had to edit out. <laughs> <laughs> but read the book before you listen, because we'll yeah. spoil it. Not too bad, though. We only we, we talk we touch on some themes and some moments, but we don't spoil the ending or anything like that. Right. Well, thanks for coming out. Uh, this has been High Fantasy for June thirtieth, or not June, July. God, I'm so far off. <laughs> July thirtieth, twenty seventeen. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Goodbye.